I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. Pretty sure I said accorded. I meant to say recorded <laughs> in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, I watched Prey, among other things, but I watched Prey on um, Hulu, and I want to talk about it. But first, can we just circle back around real quick? We'll take but a second. Um, probably a few more seconds. A uh, few more <laughs> a few more than a few um, seconds and talk about <sighs> House of the Dragon. Um, okay, there's a couple of things that I want to say. And I missed it. I missed talking about it in the first episode. I think because there was just so much happening. And I remember watching, I, I told you last episode that I watched it twice because I just missed so much in the first offering. And there was just so much, there was, was a lot to see in this. In the second one, in the second watch, I saw things that I didn't catch in the first one. Um, but in listening to other people talk about the show, or at least the episodes up until this point, by the time you're listening to this, um, or at least the release date, only two episodes are out. The, the third one comes out on this coming Sunday. But there's a certain group of folks. Actually, first off, it's gory. It's gr- there's lots of there's lots of bold scenes is the best way I can describe it. So graphic sexual content, also graphic violent content, but that's the Game of Thrones universe. That's what we've come to be used to in this universe. And plus it's HBO. HBO don't. HBO does gratuitous. Like it's H gratuitous B-O. If like that's home box, gratuitous box office uh, is his name. It should be its name. You know what I mean? Like, gratuitous is its middle name. Um, and so it never occurred to me that the birthing scene would have been traumatic for folks. Only because by this point, we had seen somebody's... Um, the jousting. We had seen the jousting scene where somebody's... Somebody was brutalized in the jousting scene. Um, the same couple of scenes where Damon lost. Um, and so it didn't occur to me that the birthing scene would have been super difficult. But upon reflection, I can appreciate why <laughs> there were folks who were calling for, or at least... First off, philosophizing on, is that a word? Waxing poetic on social media, mostly TikTok, probably Twitter too, well, definitely Twitter, um, saying that, or asking the question, should HBO have submitted or added a warning, a trigger warning in the episode? And to that, I say no, mm-mm. I don't think so because, well, how about this? I think what they should have said is you, you, you should expect to see the same level of excitement 
an intenseness that you became accustomed to watching Game of Thrones. But other than that, everything is, uh, many things, you know, the story is completely different. Um, And there are different showrunners, but you should still expect to see the same level of violence and gore. Because again, we saw in the scene, like in the middle of the birthing scene, we didn't get to the hard part until toward the end, but actually I think the scene that, that was that many people or it seems some people found most disturbing was the birth scene was juxtaposed next to Damon um uh is it Damon? I'm tripping. The brother. Hold on, let me go back to the cast. Yeah, it's Prince Damon. Anyway, um, Prince Damon losing to um, a Dornish champion that we'll get to know later, I'm sure, um, because Rihanna's going to probably fall in love with him. Anyway, um, yeah, so juxtaposed uh, uh, against her or the birthing scene, um, King Viserys' birthing scene, or the wife's birthing scene, is Damon losing, Prince Damon losing. And so, but but bef- just before he lost, he smashed a dude's head in. So, I'm not, you know what I mean? Like, what they, yeah, so again, I, I, can, I can see what they could have said. What they could have said was, you know, it's going to be rough. It's, it's going to be intense, just like Game of Thrones. It's just going to be better written. Um, because they were certainly hinting around that. Um, so anyway, I don't know. Judging by the... <laughs> I don't know that a lot of you are watching Game of... Uh, excuse me, um, House of the Dragon. And I understand why, you know, Game of Thrones really took over a lot when it was on the air. It was on the air for a long time. Um, I know that HBO was hoping to create another dynasty in this show, but I don't know if what, what they said was, according to the viewership, that the viewership went up, um, I think by 2% or something like that, um, in the second episode, which shows that more people are beginning to watch it. But I imagine they still haven't captured the viewership that Game of Thrones earned and then squandered in that final season. Um, so anyway, um, yeah, I guess it's, you know, and I imagine anybody who um, is like a psychologist or whatever, or, or anyone who just so is a social scientist would probably argue that the reason why me and probably other folks didn't find it offensive is because we kind of desensitized, which is not a great thing, but it never even occurred to me. Yes, the, the scene was grotesque, but it would never even occurred to me to mention it apart from the implications in the show. But speaking to, about the implications in the show, um, King Viserys is a fool. We knew he was, people had been saying he was a fool in the second, his brother, Prince Damon, said that he was a fool and he was weak and that his court is 
um, capitalizing on that. Certainly his hand was capitalizing on that. And we saw in the first episode, Press Damon and the, the hand going back and forth on each other and the hand really running Damon, Prince Damon down. Now he had, he had every right to run him down. Um, but nevertheless, we saw that tension there. And, but then at the end, we also saw before Rhaenyra was um, confirmed as the heir apparent um, or the heir to the Iron Throne, um, we had that heartbreaking moment between the two brothers where the younger brother is like, what you don't get is that you're weak. Do you admit that you, you need to admit that you're weak, dude, because if you do that, then you could also understand that other people around you have already known that you are weakened or capitalizing on it. But then there was that big Viserys got full of himself and instead of listening and hindsight being 2020, because that scene was disrespectful. It was dis- it was a disrespectful conversation between siblings, but Prince, Prince Damon did have a point that unfortunately Prince Viserys or King Viserys was just not listening to. So he banishes him away and then he removes the the title of heir and, and bestows it upon Rihanna, which sets up a lot of different things as everyone has already been saying. Um, but the second episode, so, so it's the first episode where he put enmity between himself and his brother and then put his daughter in a hard place. The second episode was worse in that he put enmity between his daughter and his best friend and her best friend. And not only that, but we're seeing the ramifications of him listening to his hand a little too much or his, his hand being very calculating. But then also we're, we're beginning to see, we're beginning to see the realm's response or at the very least the court's response to this king. And at a pivotal moment that, that, People were really believing him in a, in a pivotal moment and expecting him to do the right thing. There was an alliance. What we know is that the black, the black guy with the silver hair is um, um, a Valerian. His last is, he's a Valerian and so super rich. And if you know anything about the lore of um, Game of Thrones, you know that Valeria is destroyed at some point. So we're, we're marching. We're all marching towards all of this. Obviously, you know that the Targaryen reign ends by the time um, Daenerys is born. The Targaryen reign is waning because the Mad King is going to be slain by Jaime. Um, and so you know that all of this is going to end, but you just don't know the how. Well... We have a feeling we get in the set by the second episode, we get to the how or the beginning of the end. Even though there's like 180 years, well, yeah, like 180, almost 200 years before, you know, 
the total kingdom, Jaime really does kill the Mad King and the Targaryen reign ends. And then here come the Lannisters. Um, or no, Baratheon. Excuse me, Baratheon. Um, but the Lannisters right after that. But anyway, um, what did I want to say? Oh, um, the second episode reminds us why the beginning, why it shows us the beginning of the end. And not only did King Viserys, Viserys, um, remove his brother, which everybody, I don't know that many argued with the removal of him for being the heir, because I don't think anybody really wanted Damon to be the heir or to be the next king. Well, they certainly didn't want a woman to be on the throne. It had never happened in the history of the family's reign. And so, so people are mad about that. And they're also mad because as king, he just lost his wife and he also lost uh, this male heir. And so there's a duty for him to, to produce a male heir. So marry again, remarry and produce a male heir to continue the line. And and thinking about who to marry, his choices are, and this is gross, but not more gross than Jamie and uh, and his brothers. I forgot her name. Um, the 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 brother and sister incest storyline, but his choice is a child and a teenager, a ten year old and a fourteen year old. The fort that the ten-year-old is um, the Valerian's daughter, so he's got the same blood, the same Targaryen blood, in him, or in the in the child has the same Targaryen blood. She just happens to be biracial, um, but he she she carries the the Targaryen blood. It's just she's not of age. And here this old King Viserys, who's clearly in his late 40s, definitely 50s probably, um, you know, is being courted to marry this 10-year-old. But then also the Hand has been sending his daughter, his 14-year-old daughter, into the King's chambers to comfort him. She hasn't done anything. She hasn't intimately comforted him, but definitely the goal was to get in the good graces of the king and get him to pick her. You pimped your daughter out. The hand pimped his daughter out. That was gross. Anyway, and so by the end of this episode, this weak king whose ego, excuse me, whose pride is greater than his ability to truly rule decides to do two things at once that will just have irrevocable consequences. He chooses the hand's daughter and in doing so, not only does he break the heart and trust of his daughter, and sets up enmity between she and her best friend that's no longer her best friend that will certainly have far-reaching implications. 
but he also effectively severs an important alliance that he had with one of the richest, if not the richest people on, in, the, in, the, in the world or in, in that area, in that community, the kingdom, whatever. All because she, she got him, manufactured him a little bird, like a little, fixed his little bird toy. What a maroon, what a maroon. And so of course, the end of the episode, what happens? The, the Valerian dude who was on his cabinet, who's, who married, who married Viserys's, Viserys's, um, sister, who, if she were a man, would have been king before Viserys, because Viserys don't have the heart for this. Of course, he's in alliance. The Valerian strikes up an alliance or begins to strike up an alliance with Prince Damon, who's still very hurt by his brother and does believe that despite his destructiveness, that he's fit to be the king because he is the next in line, period. And so now a bunch of foolishness is going to ensue. And what we know is that there's an actor switch. So the young um, Rhaenyra and her best friend become the 20-something Rhaenyra and best friend. And so the best friend is now queen. We see that coming in the next episode. She grows to be queen. And so... This is going to be dumb, I think, but at the same time, entertaining. I'm still going to watch it because, I mean, I can't not watch it, but I see why other people are just not ready to ready to go there because there's going to be some foolishness. It's going to be a fool before it's, you know what I mean? It's going to be entertaining, but it's also going to be a fool. So anyway, needed to get that out. Um, here's another thing. Can we, can I just, I don't even know before we get to pray. I gotta just say, I've been watching The Good Girl, and I know it's been over, right? But I'm watching The Good Girl, and even though the writing is very poor in points, um, and the acting is very predictable in points, I now know where all of those memes are coming from. The get in the car, Elizabeth. Um, yeah, and I think I've been suffering. Y'all, please believe me, I've been suffering through this, through this show. It's not good. I don't know why it had so many seasons. Apart, you know why I think it had so many seasons? Because of the, 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 the villain and the relationship between um, the lead woman and the villain. I think that's the only reason why this, that show had some legs. And plus, maybe it tapped into a mommy market. But it's not good. It's not good. There's a terrible die job on one of them. Um, the acting, again, the acting is not great. There's literally, case in point, the black woman on there, the only black family, like <laughs> all, all of the black characters, for the most part, apart from the FBI agent, appear because of their proximity to this black woman and her black family, which, stunning to say the very least, because as if black people don't just naturally exist anywhere else, they all have to, without, within reason, exist in relation to this black woman and her family in some capacity. Um, they are, she's either, they've either met her directly, they're related to her, 
yeah, they've met her directly or they're related to her. You rarely see black folks in the show apart from their proximity to the main, the, the other lead black character in her family, except for the FBI agent, which, okay. Um, which only exists in the universe to catch the lead woman. But anyway, so, but in the storyline, the black woman is she robbed a bank with her with her hood rat friends, her suburban hood rat friends. These, these this is what this is. These three women are suburban hood rats trying to play like they're not, especially the the me the lead lady. Anyway, um, but the black woman she she's goes and robs banks and and commits felonies left and right. Her husband is supposed to be a straight arrow, becomes a cop. Loses his job because he, the FBI agent that's been following the white lady, mostly the white lady, to get to this, the, the Latinx drug dealer who's played by a very handsome actor. Anyway, um, but, and, and if y'all have seen that, anyway, so he's, he's, so the black lady's husband loses his, or gets put on suspension, loses his dream job. He's only ever wanted to be a cop since he was a child, which is, um, anyway, he's only ever wanted to be a cop since he was a child. Anyway, um, so he loses his job protecting the, the, the three women, the three hood rats. And then in this season, I, I think I'm in season three or four at this point, I can't call it, but he, he is in this season, the black, um, FBI agent has died. He's been killed or something like that. And like the line of duty or whatever. Anyway, and so the 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 black the cop is about to be her husband is about to be reinstated. They want to reinstate him, but he no longer wants to do it because it doesn't feel good anymore. Because he's continued in the time that he's been suspended as a police officer, he's continued to help cover up the crimes of his hood rat wife. Um, and so. You know, that their, their marriage has struggled and things like that. And we've seen not very great acting from all of the cast members. But in this moment, I've seen some not very convincing and very melodramatic acting. Or it would have been melodramatic if she'd have tried harder. But anyway, um, acting from the black lady who's name I'm not even going to tell you the names. I don't even remember. And it do not matter. Um... But anyway, so they're going back and forth. And this is part of the reason why this, is un- this show is inseparable. Apart from the, the lead lady, oh, Elizabeth, and her sister, whose name I don't remember, whose eyebrows I cannot, I, I can't with the, the choice of the way that they chose to style this woman. I can't. It's rough. It's not good style choices. They're not a flattering to her body at all. Anyway, but look, that's what they wanted for the character, whatever. She's an actress. She'll do what she got to do for the role because it's not her. It's the character she's playing. Anyway, um, so there's all these scenes where all of them are, are just shown as pathetic. And it's very frustrating to me because it's like, who wrote this? And do you hate women? Because the way that these women are written, or at least the scenes that these women are in, I don't have pity for them. I have pity for these actresses that have to play these characters that are not very good, well-crafted 
thought out characters, in my opinion, or the very least, the, the things that they go through, the, the, the daughter, they really run her through the ring or they'd be treating this child like she is so broken. She's beyond repair and she just keeps getting dumped on, dumped on, dumped on. And I'm like, who wrote this show? Who wrote this show? Anyway, um, just they be just the, the men in her life just be dunking on her anyway. Um, but back to the black couple. So mama's out here doing hood rat things with her friends and um, the husband slowly starts to descend into, well, girl, if you're going to keep doing hood rat things, why can't I get a piece? I'm tired of us being poor. If I can get a, if I can hit a couple of licks, I'm going to do that. And so he gets into security at this um, uh, exotic dancer club and through these through connections with some of the dancers he meets a dancer who's a scammer and she goes to these private parties and steals jewelry and money mostly actually yeah jewelry and money from um these clients that she's dancing for across Detroit remind you reminder this is all in Detroit and that she's never been like, there's never been gunplay is beside, beyond me. Like, you can't do this in no major city, nowhere, and expect that in, a, in the United States, and for there not to be gunplay at these rich people's houses, whatever. Anyway, so this is what we're supposed to believe, that she's just riding around Detroit, going to these rich people's, these rich men's um, private parties and, and robbing them, and not getting any flack for it, not, not any serious trouble for it. But anyway... So anyway, he decides that he's going to start scamming with her. She, started, she gave him a cut, and, and, and the money is too good, so now he wants a little bit more. And so he's in on the caper with the, the exotic dancer. He's in on the caper. And so the wife finds out, again, the wife who be doing hood rat things with her friends, be robbing people herself, gets on her high horse and said, one of us has to be good. And literally starts lecturing him. Dude, with his ill-gotten gains, he buys her, for their anniversary, a proper ring. Because he's never been, he's never had enough money to get her the ring that he always wanted to get her. And instead of wearing the ring and recognizing the sacrifice, but then talking through with her husband a better way to handle this whole situation and sharing her her frustration she literally gives the ring back and then in another scene when she's trying to teach her her daughter who's who's acting out at this point because she's a teenager um the response you know being a good citizen she has this jar of money from her ill-gotten gains to make herself feel better she fills this big old pickle jar it's huge some sort of jar with uh, like an animal cracker barrel, actually, with money. And on top of it, she puts the ring. And she puts the whole jar with the ring on top in front of her husband's face as if she's not antagonizing him. This is the dumbest, poorly written thing I've ever seen. I keep watching it, honestly, for what, what ridiculous thing is going to happen next. Because at the end of the day, the, la- the, the, the main lady, Beth, she'd be pulling the same faces when she's under duress. It's the same face. It's not nuance. It's not any different. She has the same scared look, like she's gonna she's gonna get sick look on her face. And I'm like, girl, pull a different look, honey. You you can't pull a different look. Meanwhile, you watch um, Ozark, and 
this is why I'm, this is why I'm more critical because Beth and, and, and good girls has different faces and looks and stuff like that. She's not deadpan. She's supposed to get deadpan when she's like hard and she's tapping into her heart and criminalness, but it's not written well enough for the actress herself to really go there. You go to Ozark and you talk about there's no there's nothing funny here. There's nothing really super wholesome about it. It's, it's shot in blue. It's just a dark show. And old dude, Marty, Marty, his deadpan is like serial killer deadpan, though. You know what I mean? Like his straight face, his scared face and his straight face have some nuances but it's like, we learn why. He's always lived, he's always lived his life either in complete disaster or complete control. It's never, there's never a middle ground. It's always teetering on that. And so you kind of get used to the roller coaster with Marty. With, with Good Girl and, and, and Ozark, with Good Girls, it just feels like y'all just doing this to keep the show alive. Anyway, um, I don't know. I want to see what's ha- I want to see what happens with the drug dealer dude because there's clearly a relationship or they want to have a relationship. He does something. He he wants something with Beth. It's just messed up. And again, if the writing were better, we would know we would have better scenes between the two of them. Um but but the writing wasn't better. It was on ABC at the at the end of the day, right? And and uh Ozark was on like cable TV um, and now it's on Netflix. So, you know, is what it is. But um, so anyway, why was I bringing that up? I bring it up because I'm catching up to the memes, but also I have a lot of problems with the show, but there's a little bit of a piece of me that thinks that I want to see this thing through. So I'm going to try to stick it out as long as I can because certainly it's been a journey but anyway, we'll see how, where this thing goes. But let me switch gears and talk about Prey. Um, Prey was on Netflix. Or no, excuse me. Play was on, Prey was on Hulu. Prey is a prequel to Predator. And I love the prequels to Predator. Um, because Predator is interesting in and of itself. And what I really like about Prey is that it features an indigenous American cast. Or I don't know if they're American. They're from the North America and they're indigenous, or at least the main people are indigenous. And so anyway, I'm excited. I was excited to watch it. I was glad to see it for the representation alone um, because it's a story that I don't know that we've heard in this way. If you're going to tell prequels to, to Predator and if you're going to live in that universe, then you got to kind of recognize how far back it could potentially go and the implications of that. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I was I, I was glad to watch it. Um, and so in the next segment, I'm going to talk all about Prey. I'm going to do it like I normally do it. So I'm going to talk about the particulars Then I'm going to give my initial thoughts. And then I'm just going to go into the movie itself. So anyway. All right. So stay tuned. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, um, sharing this show, sharing episodes of the show with anybody that you think might dig it. I really do appreciate that. Keeps me doing this hobby that I do. uh, spreads the reach of the show. So I appreciate that. But anyway, in the next segment, it's all about Prey. And you know what? I meant to 
mention this, but um, the release date of the show is September 1st. And by that point, many, if not most of the kids in the United States are already back to school. Um, I was talking to my sister last night and I'm she's in the school district. Well, she's in the school system um, down in um Louisiana, one of the, the systems in Louisiana, and one of the things she told me is that even though school starts for many, certainly school starts back where she is um, before Labor Day, and certainly it does up here in Baltimore, um, some parents don't send their kids to school until after Labor Day. And her district has been in for three weeks. So you cool with your child missing up to a month, almost a month of school? Anyway, I think that's bizarre. Um, But this is still coming up on a time where over the last two years, some of these students, listen, haven't we, have we not um, watched news segments, listened to podcast segments, whole podcast episodes about the missing kids from school districts? Did Baltimore City not come under fire? The school district not come under fire for passing kids who never showed up to school? Did, did none of this happen? The answer is all of this happened. And Baltimore is not unique. I'm quite sure that in every school district across the United States, kids didn't come up missing in the district, especially online, but will, you know, now the school's having an issue connecting with them, and I'm not blaming the school solely. This is a community effort, but at the same time, where we're getting raises, I don't know that any raises at, in, in the school board should have taken, not the school board, but um, in um, superintendent's office. I'm not 100% sure that any raises should have been considered, because even if you're not, don't have a huge issue with missing students, which I can't think of a district that does not have an issue with missing students, you also have school violence that you need to focus on. And again, I know Baltimore is not unique. I know that violence is up across the country in cities for a myriad of reasons. One of those reasons is lack of resources. Um, and, and includes lack of places for the kids to go. So anyway, I just I pray for all of those who are sending their kids to school um, and who are working in the school system because this is going to be a weird transition period for all of them. And I wish you luck. And I pray that everything irons out soon. I know that Mississippi at the moment... Jackson, Mississippi, does not have any water, not any potable water. How about that? Which is wild to me. The, the, I want to say so much, but the focus really ought to be on getting, making sure that these students, these families, these kids, these individuals who pay their taxes, who are just existing. This is the capital city, y'all. Capital city of Mississippi is Jackson, and it don't have water. So the cities are where most of the resources are. So if this city has doesn't have that basic resource, what other resources are the cities not next to the capital lacking in? These are the questions. Anyway, but let me hasten on. Um, this is not a conversation or a discussion to be 
completed today, so I'll hasten on and, and we'll keep monitoring it, but my heart really does go out, excuse me, to all those students who are at Jackson State right now, all the, all the schools right now talking about, um, yup, I'm back at school. No, you're not. Ain't no water. <sighs> anyway, and no air conditioning. I'm learning. No air conditioning. Um, what's that former football player that turned coach at Jackson State? He was primetime. Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is a coach at Jackson State. And he's on his own TikTok elevating. Elevating this issue. That's a doggone shame. But this is where, this is where we are. It, influencers, stars, famous people have to elevate an issue because that's where we are. And I think that's where we've always been. Anyway, but let me hasten on. Um, let me hasten on and see if I can provide any resources, any links to vetted resources. The vetted part is where I'm tripping. Um, if I can find some links to some vetted resources to provide support for, for um, the people of Jackson, Mississippi, I will include that in the show note links or the, the, those links in the show notes. But let me hasten on um, and talk about Prey. All right, a couple things. Prey is another one of those prequels to the Predator series. Predator, for those of you who are, don't know, is literally an alien. An alien who's using the Earth... It drops down occasionally, uses the earth to send its warriors to prepare for combat. This is the storyline that that we've come to know, and they're extremely advanced technology. And they look like ants. Cross, actually, they look like a cross between praying mantises, ants, and wasps, in my opinion. Um, but anyway, these with dreadlocks, um, or am I thinking of alien? My bad. I'm thinking of alien. Um, so, so the predator, actually its face kind of looks like a crab's face. You know what I mean? But like if the crab's mouth had, had talons or mm -hmm, really sharp mandibles that had protruding teeth. And then a really built, so that's what its face looks like, and then a really built human. That also kind of reminds you of like a reptile in that the inside, the, like the belly is lighter skin, lighter skin than, the, than the back. So yeah, it's like a cross between a reptile and a crab with dreadlocks, so a human as well. Uh, they're super tall and super built. And again, these, the ones that we're seeing are the warriors. Um, and I don't know how I know that. I just, I guess I just have come to that knowledge because of all of the predators. What we know is that they're sent, that they come here, however they get here. And then their mission is to beat up a bunch of people, beat up, end a bunch of people's lives. Um, and then once they've done that, they earn their spot back home. And it's like a rite of passage. For, so for all intents and purposes, these aliens are teenagers. These aliens are teenagers trying to become adults. And these grown adult humans be killing some teenagers. So just rest on that one for a second. But anyway, um, this the reason why I like Prey so much is because it, it kind of levels the playing field in that 
these aliens, these alien predators are teenagers trying to earn their rite of passage. For the most part, they're teenagers earning their rite of passage. And so they're out here hunting the species on earth, which is humans. And in Prey, this, there's this um, indigenous community where this teenage girl wants to try to find her own place of glory, wants to come of age on her own, doesn't want to just go gather the food in the morning and, and, and allow the men to do the hunting. She wants to do some hunting herself. She's, she feels like she's good at it. And so this is an opportunity for her to get on the hunt too, only the thing that she's hunting is the predator. So it's essentially two teenagers. It's an adolescent film for all intents and purposes, if you think about it. Um, And so you literally have these two teenagers that just happen to be hunting each other to end the other one's lives. (laughs) But anyway, I think it's kind of cool because the protagonist is a young uh, indigenous woman um, and I don't know that we've seen that too much. If we've seen young indigenous women, they're never the protagonist. They're always the damsel in distress. They always need saving or protecting in some way. This child don't need no protection. The only thing you, that, that, that needs protecting is this child's wanton need for violence because she wants to prove herself. And in doing so, what, we, what do we know? It's the arrogance of youth. You run headlong, head first into situations that might, if you'd have thought it through, you might have approached them differently. You probably would have approached them differently. And so in this movie, we see her having some fits and starts initially to try to gain this respect, the respect of her tribe. And so anyway, so it's an interesting, it's an interesting story. Um, and, I, I, and I also believe that's an interesting offering to the Predator franchise, but, but we'll get into Let me get into the particular. So it is what I didn't realize is that even though I watched it over the weekend, um, this thing was actually for some reason, I guess I thought it was released some other time, but it was actually released July 21st. So not long ago, Um, July 21st of this year, it was a Disney Hulu collaboration, which Disney Plus is everywhere. Disney Plus is gaining their they're just getting their money. Um, And it was directed by Dan. Trachtenberg. I don't know who the heck that is. Anyway, um, it stars Amber Midthunder as Naru, which is the, the main character. Dakota Beavers as her brother. Um, oh, that's kind of cool. We know the name of the, the predator. So Dan DeLegro as uh, the predator. And then there's some other, there's a black character in here who I didn't even realize was in there. Um, and then there are some other native characters or excuse me, indigenous characters who are in this show. Um, mm-hmm. but I think I'll just focus on Nauru and the predator. Um, well, Nauru, her brother and the predator, because that's really those are the really the main characters here um, in this movie. But anyway, um, 
And again, what I love to see that these appear to be, um, this is a predominantly native, uh, indigenous cast, indigenous American cast, which I enjoy immensely. All right, but let me get to the particulars. So, or the, the rest of the particulars. So this thing has a 7.2 out of 10 rating on IMDb. 71, and again, you know how I feel about IMDb. I don't know who the heck is rating this. And it seems like the rating is always just a teench off, like always off from other rating sources. And so take it how you see it. 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 71% out uh, from Metacritic. And again, let me click on Metacritic because I don't even know if it says who is providing this. I think the last time I looked, we weren't, I wasn't sure. Um, all, yeah, all it says is 71%, 71% from Metacritic from the 43 reviews and 62% user score. So I'm, I'm, I don't know what the meta score is versus what the user score is. I can assume that the user score is the watchers and the folks that are logged in. Um, and this is 6.2 and this is from 500 ratings which means that the ratings are all over the place for it to be 6.2. Um, and then the 71% out of 43 ratings, that's not a very big threshold um, to choose from. So it is what it is. But when you go to Rotten Tomatoes, that's where you really get some more, some more meat. And so on Rotten Tomatoes, it is 93% certified fresh with 249 reviews from reviewers or at least critics, and it has a 70, 76% audience score, and that's 5,000 plus ratings. And again, um, the it's clear that the scores are kind of all over the place for it to have, be 76%. Um, and here's what we here's what we know: critic the critical the critics consensus is the rare action thriller that spikes adrenaline without skimping on character development. Prey is a predator prequel done right audience though says if you can look past some dodgy effects prey is pretty much the back to back back to basics predator installment fans have been waiting for waiting for years to see uh that seems hypercritical that seems like some people that got way too much time on their hands and are a little too purist uh for their own good i will say that i didn't see any weird or um CGI miss-ups that were just unforgettable or unforgivable. But that doesn't mean that I didn't get everything. It's just the story was compelling enough. The action was compelling enough that I don't even think it mattered. I, don't, I, I didn't notice the quality being poor in parts. So I think these are people being hypercritical. I, I tend to agree with the 93%. I wouldn't give it 100%. I think a 93, like 90 to 93% is, is fair. All right, so here's the story. Prey is a 2022 American science fiction Amer- action horror film based on the Predator franchise. It is its fifth installment and is, is a prequel to the first four films being set in the northern Great Plains in North America in 1719. The film is directed, well, I've already told you who was directed by. Okay, well, let me give you more of the plot. Um, hold on, let me, let me just give it to you. All right, so 
1719, in the Great Plains, Nauru, a young Comanche, I forgot the indigenous tribe that she belonged to, uh, a young Comanche woman trained as a healer dreams of becoming a great hunter like her brother, Tabe. Her brother's name is Tabe. Um, yeah, while tracking deer with her dog, um, she witnesses the lights of an alien predator spacecraft, which she interprets as a Thunderbird, taking it as a sign to prove herself. Okay, so that's as much as the plot that I will um, give you because it's important to know that in this story, there's a couple of themes that you're running through. So you've got, you've got this young girl and, and Naru who is a part of this tribe that as part of its practices, warriors are made right around her age. And so her brother is a warrior. She's proud of her brother. Um, She's proud of her family. And so she's, she's got an inkling that, you know, she wants to make her family proud in the way that she sees her contribution to her family and making them proud is for her to prove herself as a warrior on the battlefield. And she is our introduction to the alien. And we don't often get this. I think in one of the predators, that the predator with Sanaa Lathan, I think... She was one of the first. She saw the the predator first, I think, or at least got to see the predator before the predator emerged and whatever that film was. Y'all remember that film with Sonal Lathan? It was one of the four prequels that, that um one of the four prequels that uh the 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 plot was talking about. Anyway, um but we don't have many opportunities for women Warriors, and again in the in the Sanaa Lathan one, Sanaa Sanaa survives. Um, she's not a victim. She's very much a part of the reason why the alien does not win. And it's so interesting because you know in these movies the aliens never win for real, but at the same time they've been doing it long enough that you know that in their history these war they the the aliens some of these aliens do leave warriors. They they take as many lives as necessary for them, collect as many trophies as necessary for them to be returned back to their home planet. Um, so you do know that they do win. It's just in these movies, they don't win um, consistently. And so anyway, so but back to the thing, we are introduced. Nauru is the first person that sees the ship land. And what we know is that is a single, based on the franchise, it's a single uh, passenger aircraft that is coming to drop off its its occupant which is the teenage warrior um and so in this moment two teenage warriors meet each other or at least know of each other well one of them knows of the other's presence and it's foreshadowing right so it's the two of them in the beginning it'll be the two of them at the end anyway so she's the one that sees them first or sees at least the spacecraft first. And of course, because she doesn't know anything else, she she talks about the alien and the language that, that she understands. And so one of the characteristic traits of the Predator's vehicle is that it it's coming, it, it's lit up and it's like fiery and it's in the clouds and it's coming out of the clouds. And so 
the Comanche have um, mythology around that. And so the mythology is that this is perhaps the Thunderbird. Um, and it is something that our young Nauru thinks that she can use as a thing to show her worthiness as a warrior. And so she begins to try to track it. Meanwhile, her brother, Tabe, and the rest of his crew are out trying to hunt for food and stuff like that. And so, um, in essence, while Naru is holding on, by the way, she sees this, she sees the, what she believes to be the firebird, but was actually the predator in, in their craft land she doesn't tell anybody not 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 early on she doesn't tell anybody and instead she goes out on these hunts with her brother and in fact Tabby and the and and this small crew and in fact she was supposed to be lookout at the mo- at that time when she gets um sidetracked by seeing this what she believes to be a thunderbird land um and so anyway she keeps the information to herself but then she goes back to hunting with her brother and his his little crew. And she makes a mistake. In hunting, she makes this mistake that could have proven fatal because they're, I think they're hunting, I don't know if they're hunting a lion, they're hunting some big game animal and this big game animal could turn around and kill her if she's not careful. And she makes a, a mistake and she almost loses her life, but Tavi saves it. But in saving her life, he also scolds her. He says, girl, you're not ready for prime time. You don't have the heart, honey. Go find another job. And another job in the Comanche community where she lives is for her. She's coming of age where she gathers food in the morning um, with the other women for the village. And so anyway... She's obviously devastated by this. She wants to be a warrior, but her brother keeps insisting based on her own actions and her inability to follow through. She can't. She can't be a warrior. Now, there's a little bit of that that's big brother posturing, right? Um, Because what we come to know is that Tabe knows that she's a good tracker. Um, It's just she lacks some of the other skills she has the instinct, instinct, she just lacks some skills to, to be a successful hunter. And so anyway, um, so here she is, she's at the end of the hunt. Now, again, she's still holding on to the secret that she's found the Thunderbird and that she's going to secretly hunt it. But she's coming back home with her tail between her legs um, and her brother... And excuse me, her brother and her friends come back. Obviously, they've they've missed their mark a little bit, but they they haven't found the big. No, no, no. In this scene, do they do they? Um... All right. So there's a couple of back and forth scenes where she's unsuccessful the first time she goes back out. She's unsuccessful the second time. But the second time she's unsuccessful. Uh, uh, tracking that big game her brother is successful and he captures the big game and then he brings it back he's scarred up he's beat up but he brings it back 
and he gets honored by his tribe. And Naru cannot help but feel a little bit envious. On the one hand, proud of her brother, but also recognizing that he he's a strong person and he was always um, capable of such things. But she also was a little bit green with envy because that could have been her moment to receive praise from the leader of her community. Um, And so it's at this moment, and again, the the predator has now already landed and has begun to get the lay of the land, again, proving itself just as Nauru wants to prove herself. And so the predator begins its quest to go find and, and collect as many trophies as possible. It starts kill. Oh, they were hunting bear. That's what it was. Nauru, her brother Tabe, and their two uh, friends were trying to hunt a big bear, and she almost lost. Nauru almost lost her life to that bear because she just didn't calculate it right. Um, pause. One of the things that I'm learning, one of the things that I learned from TikTok, is that bears, and this is relevant to me because there are bears in Maryland, in the mountains, mind you, but nevertheless, bears in Maryland. Anyway, they're brown bears, but still. Um, Brown bears are smaller, for those of you who don't know. Um, Brown bears are smaller than than black bears, and they usually don't want smoke unless you bring it to them. Um, Otherwise, they just leave you alone. But anyway, brown bears smell you before they see you and they can smell you for many miles. And I saw a clip of a, of a woman that, that a woman was recording where this bear was running full speed ahead, but he was many miles away, but he was running in her direction. That's because he could smell her. And perhaps he or the, the bear, because we don't know if it was a mama bear or not, but It's possible that she had come too close. Excuse me, that she had come too close to her cubs. And so I'm bringing, and so anyway, I'm bringing all this up to say that when Naru, this teenage girl and her brother's brother and their friends who are not much beyond teenagers themselves, I think they are still teenagers, maybe late teenagers. When they are hunting this bear, that is dangerous. They could lose their, they could lose their lives. They don't have guns. They're hunting, they're, they're hunting these bears with, their, with, with weapons, yes, projectiles, but not high-powered projectiles. Certainly not indestructible projectiles and weapons or nearly indestructible ones like a gun. They don't have any of that. It's 1719. They don't have any of that or 29, whatever. Anyway, <clears throat> so Naru and her arrogance, she miscalculates and almost get, gets got by the bear, but her brother saves her. And then the next go round, she has another opportunity to capture the bear. She again, she's a wonderful tracker. So she ends up tracking the bear, um, but she can't close the deal, and so her brother ends up doing so. Um, and then he comes back to the Comanche village where they're living, and he gets praise. And while she's proud of her brother, she's also envious of her brother because that should have been hers. He was literally setting her up to get that glory, but she just doesn't. She can't follow through. And so anyway, this is kind of the turn, you know, the, the, the low point in the movie because 
our protagonist has to go through something and this is the something that she's going through. And so she so after her brother is is honored by the 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 leader, the high leader in the in the the community, the very next day she gets up and does the thing that she does not want to do, which is gets up to with her basket to gather food for the rest of the community. But she's got some a fire in her belly. And so instead of going and collecting the the food again for this morning, she literally gets up with her the supplies that she needs to go track again what she believes is the firebird. She goes a, a, a tracking, a hunting the firebird um, instead of gathering, and she's doing it in the daytime. And so this is where this is the the pathway where her where this is the point where her path crosses. Um, the predator's path. And again, by this point, the predator has now killed another bear, killed a bear, a big bear, too, using its alien technology, um, which was very advanced for that time frame. Um, I keep yawning. Oh my goodness, I keep yawning. I'm not even sleepy. I've This is the morning. Maybe it's just a little too early, though. Anyway, um, so... The predator is collecting its um, trophies because one of the things that you have to that we have to understand is by this point, it's just trying to collect big game um, trophies of things that it has captured, it, that it has killed, and so I think we're meant to believe that. In the 1700s, these aliens don't really know much about humans. They know that they exist, but that at this point, it's, you know, in the Great Plains, it's mostly animals and get the biggest thing out there, get the biggest threat out there, and then go on about your business. And so The predator's out there doing its thing, getting bears and whatnot, other big game items to add to its trophy list. And you get the sense that there's a certain number of trophies that it needs to collect under a certain amount of time before it can then go home. Um, And so in doing so, here goes Nauru, our protagonist, who's going out again, the best tracker, tracker around. She's out there and she begins to track this predator. And I cannot remember, but Nauru and her and his friends follow her or something like that. They know like Nauru is scared of his for his little sister because he knows what his little sister is capable of. Or at least he knows the fire that she has in her belly and that could lead to some dangerous stuff. He's already had to save her twice. Um, And so. She tracks the predator, but then she's also met with her brother, and she obviously she's not too happy about that. So anyway, so they go on this quest where they're hunting each other. Or actually, I pause. She runs into her brother and his two sidekicks while they're trying to hunt more big game, like bear or whatnot. Um, and then he's super disappointed to see her on the trail because he knows that she's trying to redeem herself. Um, but then... She explains, yeah, I'm trying to redeem myself, but I'm not trying to get no bear. I'm trying to get this firebird. Um, and so there's a little bit of tension and push and pull there. 
And by this point, his her brother uh, Tabby's sidekicks don't have any respect for the rule. They're laughing at her. They're laughing at her because she almost lost her life through arrogance twice already. And so they're basically like, what are you coming back a third time to be humiliated again? So anyway, so in the midst of them trying to play the dozens on her and try to run her down, the predator, the same thing that she has been tracking, has also been tracking them. And so in short order, the the sidekicks are disposed of. The alien disposes of the two sidekicks. And then it's just Naru and Tabi that are left. And so the, the last, what, 20 minutes of the movie are Naru and Tabi trying to outsmart this predator or at least outmaneuver this predator so that they could capture it. And um, there's point there's a point at which um, Tabe gets injured and so Naru has to step up. He also in this moment and they're in complete danger, right? Because the predator has way far advanced technology. They Naru learns at this point that it's not a firebird, it's something completely different. Um, and and Tabi has come to the realization that, yes, her her his um, sister is got a fire in her belly, but, like, she's got all that it takes. She just needs to... She needs, needs to acquire a little bit more patience, a little bit more skill, and a lot more um, sense around tracking and hunting. And so, oh, and, and by sense, I mean a healthy fear of danger, a healthy fear of death, um, or the knowledge that this could lead to her death. And, and so allow her to channel that energy into positive, um, not positive thinking, but rational thinking that will enhance her skills and allow her to be a better warrior, to survive those dangerous moments, to bring glory to her community and so anyway um so they begin on this mini quest again the last 20 minutes of the movie where they are they recognize that the predator can't make it back to the village because he's going to decimate the village their community so Nauru and Tabi go after the predator and it's interesting action We ultimately know what happens. It's a predator uh, sequel, so I won't a prequel. So I won't tell you all the things that happen. You really do need to watch it. It's on Hulu. It's free. Um, but the way that it ends ends different. Well, it doesn't end differently than most of the movies. There's trophy collection, um, but you get the sense that this is just one iteration in a ser- in a mini. I, and I, I think this was a good offering. And again, the CGI things that they're talking about, I don't know, perhaps maybe the bear. Maybe there's, a, there's the moment where the predator um, captures and kills a bear. And maybe the effects in that moment were what people were complaining about. I didn't think of it too much. I didn't think of it too much because I think I was thinking of the, the overall concept, which is, of course this alien would bring its technology to give it an unfair advantage to be able to collect big game more quickly. And so, of course, he's going to use it. This this alien is going to use it. Um, more than I was thinking about, oh, does this look weird in the show? No, I wasn't too much 
thinking about that. Um, but yeah, so this, this, hold on, what's the runtime on this thing? Cause I don't think it's long. What is the runtime? It's a hundred minutes. That's why. Yeah. It's a hundred minutes. So it's not long at all. Um, it's not super long. What is that? An hour and 30. Um, but it goes by pretty quickly, if I'm honest. Even with the commercial breaks. Wait, did it have commercial breaks for me? Maybe it didn't have commercial breaks, but it felt like it went super long. Um, one of the things that I missed was that it had a budget of $65 million. But again, when you do Hulu, Hulu and Disney+, Plus, like I don't know how you get that money back. But... Um, Yeah, I, I, you don't know what it grossed, but you know what it what, what it costs. Sixty five million is not a ton of money in in these in today's age, um, and so sure I could appreciate how there might have been some problems with the CGI, but I promise you it was not enough. It was not enough to um, be super terrible in my opinion. And let me just correct something for the record. So it was released July twenty one at Comic Con, but it was released to Hulu on August fifth. And that's probably, so it was only a couple of weeks ago since it's released before I saw it. Um, but let me, let me, let me go on. Um, yeah, I think I've said everything I wanted to say about the movie. It is a good offering. It's a really good offering. Um, it's a short and sweet. It feels short and sweet. It, fe- it, it do. It, it feels short. And, actually, it's an hour and 40. I guess that includes the closing credits. Um, but it feels kind of short and sweet to me, but it's entertaining. And again, I, I appreciate this story in it because in the in the Predator series, what do we get? We mostly get like remember that one? It was kind of like world building where they the the these bad people, these mercenaries and angel of death and 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 all of these people that are murderers essentially were kidnapped and dropped off in a, on a foreign planet for them to be hunted by multiple predator or predators. Um, yeah, that movie wasn't great. That movie wasn't great. And even though that there was a woman in there that was a, um, a mercenary herself, she still kind of felt a little bit dam- damsel in distress. And even Sanaa Lathan, there was a point where she was a little bit damsel in distress. But I don't think at any time, well, that's not true. She, Nauru was saved twice by her brother, but it wasn't because she was a damsel in distress. She was just arrogant. She was arrogant and ill-prepared for the outcome that she was certainly going to face. But she didn't know it because she was too arrogant. Um, so yeah, I think this is a really great offering because I don't believe at any point she was ever a damsel in distress. She was a part. Yeah, she was never a damsel in distress. And I think that's why I like it so much. Um, also, she redeems herself in a very important way. And she gets the honor. Well, you'll you'll have to see it to see. You'll have to watch the end. But something really important and special happens at the end. And you get a sense that this is not the last time that a predator will come to the community. But you get the sense that they'll be a little bit smarter the next time one is dropped off in the area. Because one of the things that I've always supposed is that 
Anytime a predator lost that, the ship would return back to the home base and it would have data from the predator. Because remember, in their helmets that they wear, there's like something like a computer. And so I, I have to assume that it's sending back vitals and recorded information fr- to whoever. And so I imagine there are some lessons learned that they, or at least, yeah, that they study, that the, the predator people study. Now, you know what I think would be kind of cool? Instead of meeting these one-off predators in their single occupier spaceships, I would like at some point in one of these, in one of these movies to let us see the whole colony, to let us see the whole community where these warriors, these teenage warriors are coming from and have a battle there. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. Anyway, I'm finished. Um, Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Um, Again, if I can find some credible or vetted links for ways that you can support the people of Jackson, Mississippi, um, while they are dealing with this water crisis, lack of, uh, yeah, lack of running water crisis and air conditioning. And in one of the hottest times of the year, um, I will sh- put that information in the show notes and you'll be able to support too. But anyway, uh, once again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing the show with anybody that you think might dig it. Thank you for rating the show favorably four or five stars. Because ultimately, sharing it, rating it is how you will continue to help me do this thing that I love to do as a hobby. You also help me to spread the reach of this show, and I really do appreciate it. So once again, thank you so much for listening and helping in any way that makes sense. Um, Have a wonderful day. Be kind to yourself. September is a wild month for many folks, not just because kids are going back to school, but because the seasons are changing. And if you are a person that, that suffers from um, seasonal effectiveness or affective disorder. Um, my heart goes out to you and you know, I hope you can do things that will help you get through with it. My, my dad suffers from that. Um, and I never understood it, but I always knew that it was always a bit, daddy was a little bit more morose over the winter months. And as I got older, he would be able to articulate a little bit more what he was feeling. It's like, it's just so gray. Everything's gray and gloomy. I don't like it. And so, so yeah, so you got to do things that pep you up. You get you a, a sun lamp. Um, you surround yourself with bright things. It's probably why I surround myself with bright things all the time. Um, whenever possible, I'm surrounded by bright things. I always have my window shades wide open to see the, su- to see the sky. Um, even though hubby hates it, but anyway, just begin to take care of yourself. We're moving into that period. Holiday season is going to be around the corner before you know it. Um, or the high holiday, the major holiday season is around around the corner and you need to start taking steps right now to protect your own wellness, your own mental health, remove yourselves from conversations that no longer serve you, remove yourselves from rooms that no longer serve you. I think the pandemic gave a lot of us a really great opportunity to not engage with toxic family members and friends or people that consider themselves to be friends, but they're actually not really good friends to us. And so we're coming out of that period where you could use 
totally use the pandemic as an excuse, even though we're still in it. And monkeypox is an excuse, even though it's still on the rise. And so you just need to start, you need to begin. Now is a good time for you to be thinking about the ways to protect yourself. So I hope you're able to do that. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. Take care.